Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Den of Geek podcast, featuring commentary on the latest news from denofgeek.com, as well as other behind-the-scenes content from your favorite movies, TV shows, and more. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is episode two of our podcast for the first half of February 2018, where we've got some Black Panther discussion and a little news for Firefly fans and much more. Yes, including our bonus item. Uh, I mean, the timing couldn't be better for our discussion with associate editor of Den of Geek, David Crow, who's going to talk to us about Black Panther. He went to the press screening for that movie, and the hype is real, people. <laughs> uh, this podcast is coming out on opening day of Black Panther, and we have some news on that score as well. So we're definitely celebrating that movie in this podcast today. And uh, we're going to have some evolution of this podcast, as we mentioned in our first episode. And one thing I want to point out that we didn't do in the first podcast is we're calling it the early edition and the late edition. So you may have noticed that in your podcast feed. So this is the February early edition of the Den of Geek News podcast. And there's a lot going on in the beginning of February, right, Dave? I mean, it's just like movies, TV, everything that you could think of. Uh, we're covering the full spectrum of what Den of Geek covers, including video games and books and all kinds of stuff. So let's get right into it with this week's news. All right, Mike, it's the rare TV fan who's not engaged in some kind of discussion regarding shows that were canceled before their time, often after only one season. James Cameron's Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, oh. Joss Whedon's Dollhouse. Yes. <laughs> you know, those two typically find their way onto any list of science fiction shows that networks lack the foresight to allow those series to find their footing and an audience. Now, that said, Whedon's one-and-done classic Firefly often finds its way to the top of these lists and fans have been left with an incomplete feeling since Fox canceled the show in 2003, but Mike, not to worry. Oh boy. <laughs> Titan books and 20th century Fox have announced a series of original fiction tied to the Firefly universe. Whedon's going to serve as consulting editor and the works are going to be considered canon. If that in fact matters to you. <laughs> which it does of course it does of <laughs> i mean that, you know that's the first question fans ask is it canon <laughs> yeah now nancy holder who has penned tie-in novels in the buffy the vampire slayer uh, arena is going to write the first chapter in this series entitled big damn hero and not surprisingly it's going to focus on captain malcolm reynolds who was portrayed by nathan fillion in the original series Fans aren't going to have to wait too long because the novel has an October 2018 release date. Oh, that's very exciting. I, I love the themes that these three novels are going to have. It just fits right in with what I would want to see. Oh, absolutely. And, and the second book in the series is going to feature Jane Cobb, who receives oh. a distress call from his ex, Temperance McLeod. <laughs> that's got to be great. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> 
and this is called Firefly the Magnificent Nine, and this one's due to be released in March 2019, which is just a little over a year away. Yeah, it's not too bad. And then finally, Firefly Generations currently has an October 2019 release date and comprises the third novel in the series. Here's the synopsis. The discovery of the location of one of the legendary Ark ships that brought humans from Earth to the Verse promises staggering salvage potential, but at what cost? River Tam thinks she might know. So, Oh, my God. I mean, these send chills down my spine. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And so if this stuff appeals to you, follow Katie Burt for further updates. And the Den of Geek article, The Firefly Story, will continue in book form. Yes, and I will definitely be getting all three of those novels. Very exciting. And since we've talked about how the fact that this is timed to the Black Panther news, I'll start with that as my first piece, because Joseph Baxter shared with us a piece on the site wherein Black Panther might have had a different villain in the initial conception for the Black Panther story. Writer-director Ryan Coogler sort of found himself in a situation that you might expect, where he was a kid in a candy store with all the Marvel intellectual property choices that he had for the film's villain slot. So what was the one character he would have liked to have picked if he had the choice? Well, Yahoo News asked him that very question, and here's what he had to say. There was a run, like so we were we were in the Chris into the Chris Priest run. It's pretty heavy, and there, and there and there was a there's a there's a big scene if you know the Chris Priest things where where Panthers fighting Craven, you know Craven the Hunter, and, and I always loved Craven the Hunter, you know like in, in almost every iteration. So it was a moment where I was like, yo, do we get like can I grab Craven? And it was like, no, nah, you know we don't have Craven, you know. So you know, but he was he was one, and I kind of was like, oh man, you know. Um, but but I don't even know if he would have worked in, in in what we ended up with. This was the early days. Now, of course, Dave Craven is a classic Spider-Man villain, but he did tangle with Black Panther in a storyline, as Coogler mentioned, that Christopher Priest did for the comics. Well, you know, I mean, the, the antagonist, the villain has become just as important as the protagonist, maybe even more so in a lot of cases. And I think, as you'll hear in David Crow's discussion with me in, later in the podcast, the villain is like the MVP, according to him, in this particular movie. So there were a lot of choices and... Craven would have been a good one, especially since, you know, the reason it couldn't be done is that Spider-Man and all of its villains went to Sony. And unlike Fox, which sold a lot of its X-Men and Fantasy Four back to Disney and therefore Marvel as well, Spider-Man still has kind of like this gentleman's agreement where they get to use Spider-Man occasionally in their Avengers movies, but Sony gets a cut of the money. So, <laughs> Yeah, Marvel and bankruptcy are not two words I expect to see in the same sentence. <laughs> yeah, but there was once upon a time oh, that danger and that's what they had to do. But so while Black Panther could have done worse than to have Craven as its movie villain, the character's intrinsic connection to Spider-Man, which continues to go unrealized in live action form, were probably just a little bit too strong to spend as a somewhat unconventional foe for Black Panther. In fact, I mean, I guess we might as well just point out that it wouldn't have worked. In fact, it's Spider-Man is a franchise that deserves to have Craven debut in a Spider-Man movie. And so hopefully we will see that moment, even though it wasn't in the Black Panther movie. So just a villain that might have been. Cool. All right. Well, if you were around in the late 60s and early 70s, and I know for a lot of you, maybe your parents were alive then. <laughs> but if you were following popular music, you had the great fortune to witness a renaissance in the solo electric guitar 
as players like Jimi Hendrix, Jimmy Page, Alvin Lee, Jeff Beck roared onto the scene, flashing pyrotechnic displays, unlike anything that had been seen before. And I'm not talking about the Hendrix scene where he lights his strat on fire at Monterey. And I know a lot of you guys <laughs> have probably seen that footage. It's easily available. But along with Hendrix, the one player who changed the way we view the rock guitar soloist was Eric Clapton, whose role in the power trio cream launched him to a godlike status. In fact, Clapton is God was a popular refrain heard and seen around the world at that time. Yeah, I remember seeing the graffiti on uh, on walls and, and things like that when I was younger. Yeah. Now, fortunately, for those who weren't around, you have Eric Clapton, A Life in 12 Bars, as a vehicle to get to know the man behind the definitive version of Crossroads and one of the early 70s rock anthems, Layla. The documentary will point out, you know, his life growing up in England in the 50s and 60s, you know, how he became a blues purist and how that mindset carried over into his playing. And after leaving the Yardbirds to form Cream with bassist vocalist Jack Bruce and drummer Ginger Baker, Clapton's career took off. But so did the insecurities that come with the public, both fans and critics alike placing you on a pedestal, and that's really looked at in depth in this documentary. Uh, it brings out a lot of the dark moments of Clapton's career and personal life, which included a very strange and ultimately heartbreaking relationship with Beatles guitarist George Harrison, which I don't know if you were aware of that, but... No, I certainly wasn't. In fact, a lot of the stuff that comes up in this documentary is new to me. Yeah. Now, let's go ahead and take a second and listen to a little bit from Showtime's documentary, Eric Clapton, A Life in 12 Bars. I've been around the world and I've met many people, kings and queens, but I've never met a better man than my friend, Eric Clapton. One, two, three, four... Before Eric, guitar playing in England had been very simple. Suddenly we heard something that was completely different. There was always one man who was completely alone and with his guitar versus the world. All right, you heard B.B. Uh, King in there praising the great one. So it's a lot of blues greats that think Eric Clapton is in the Hall of Fame. Yes, absolutely. And speaking of B.B. King, the well-traveled guitarist even makes an appearance on the 1967 Aretha Franklin classic album, Lady Soul, which, given the way he looked at the time, did raise some eyebrows when he came into the recording studio. <laughs> yeah. The documentary also covers his time with one of the first, if not the first, purpose-built supergroups, Blind Faith, but it does leave out some other important milestones in his career. But that said, Showtime's Eric Clapton, A Life in 12 Bars, is required viewing for all serious electric guitarists and certainly those interested in his influential role in rock music an influence that's certainly still felt today. And if you want to read more about this documentary, check out Tony Sokol's review at Den of Geek titled Eric Clapton, A Life in 12 Bars, Ben Strings, Play Straight. Well, you know, some of the best documentaries I've seen have been biopics of music stars. I mean, basically the behind the music type of documentary so i really enjoy those but eric clapton has got a great story oh and there's a ton of good ones on netflix at the moment so i'm glad that tony decided to write about that one now in the comics world and adaptations for movie and tv there's another edition that's kind of obscure that's really catching my eye and that's umbrella academy 
And John Saavedra, who wrote about this on Den of Geek, is <laughs> equally enthusiastic. I've talked to him uh, behind the scenes about this, and he is really psyched every time they come out with a new cast announcement. Now, this latest comic book adaptation is a Dark Horse Comics title. Dark Horse produced Tick and Hellboy, for those of you who may be familiar with those titles. And in the Umbrella Academy, we've got these estranged members of a dysfunctional family of superheroes with names like the Monocle, Space Boy, the Kraken, the Rumor, the Seance, and Number Five. And then the seemingly powerless lead character, Vanya, as they work together to solve their father's mysterious death while they themselves are kind of coming apart at the seams due to their divergent personalities and abilities. Now, this news has been out for a little while, but in recent weeks, uh, John updated his article with the casting announcement, and this is what caught my eye. Mary J. Blige, of all people, will play the role of Cha-Cha, the insane time-traveling assassin first introduced in the second arc of the comic, Dallas, which reimagines the Kennedy assassination. So what do you think it is that caught my eye there, Dave? <laughs> yeah, I think it was the Kennedy assassination. But uh, you, you know what else caught my ear? Dark Matter is, is a dark horse. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So for sci-fi fans, yeah, Dark Horse produced that particular property. But also just Mary J. Blige playing this role just seems so cool. But yeah, time travel also is obviously one of my big interests. And this has not just that one time travel character, but another, which I'll mention, because there's going to be 10 episodes sometime in 2018. So I'm assuming this is late 2018, since they're just now making the casting announcements. So they haven't started filming yet. But they already had my attention with time travel through the character of number five, played by Aiden Gallagher of Nicky, Ricky, Dicky and Dawn fame. Number five is codenamed the boy, and he can effortlessly travel in time and does not age because of a temporal condition. And I'm not familiar with the comic, but right there, I'm hooked. <laughs> and just the eclectic group of uh, superheroes, such as Vanya, who is estranged from the rest because she seemingly has a lack of powers, played by Ellen Page of X-Men Days of Future Past. Then you've got Tom Hopper, who was the second iteration of Dick and Tarly on Game of Thrones. He plays Luther, a.k.a. the super strong space boy. And then you've got a Hamilton alum, Emmy Raver Lampman, who plays Allison, a.k.a. the rumor, who can alter reality by lying. One of the coolest superpower descriptions I've ever heard. And then, Dave, you and I talked about misfits at one point. Robert Sheehan, who's really the MVP of that particular series, is perfectly cast as Klaus, a.k.a. the seance, who when he's barefoot, he's got to be barefoot. He has the powers of levitation and telekinesis and the ability to contact the dead. And that last one I found slightly ironic, given his powers on misfits. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, I know we say, how did we miss that show? That's a show we've got to pick up. And, and I'm referring to misfits, but oh, there's so much out there. Yeah, I think definitely we're going to have to check out the Umbrella Academy on our Sci-Fi Fidelity podcast when it comes out in later 2018. But check out the article from John Saavedra if you're interested. All right. Now, in an age of frequent television and film reboots, the news that the 80s television series V is set to come to the big screen under the guiding hand of creator Kenneth Johnson elicits reactions from elation to, huh? <laughs> now, 
Nonetheless, Desilu Studios, and think original Star Trek there, is yeah. set to bring the visitors to theaters in the near future and is now in the funding stage for a series of three films, the first of which is going to be written and directed by Johnson. Well, I think this is a great idea rather than the TV route. <laughs> I, I do. And, and again, like anything, it, it's going to boil down to how it's handled, but you have to like the fact that it's in Johnson's hand because he cares about it probably more than anybody. Yes. Now, he says, we're delighted to team up with Desi Lu to bring the timeless and timely story of resistance against tyranny into the 21st century. V will be the first of a cinematic trilogy, which will tell the full epic tale in the manner I've always envisioned. Now, the second and third films are going to be based on Johnson's novel V, The Second Generation. And while some of us aren't old enough to remember the original series that began as a two episode miniseries in 1983 and then got picked up for a full 19 episode season in 84, 85, I think most of us certainly remember the 2009 reboot starring Firefly's Marina Baccarin, Lost and Revolution's Elizabeth Mitchell, along with Joel Gretsch, Laura Vandervoort, and Scott Wolf. Now, that series ran for two seasons, ending in 2011, so there's so much out there that so many of us have V and pictures of V in our head, so it'll be interesting to see what he does with this. Yeah, my dad was a huge fan of this when I was growing up. I was around, what, 11, I think, when the first V came out. Definitely watched it, but I think my parents were worried I would have nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you're interested, Seamus Kelly's going to be updating the progress of V the movie right here at Den of Geek under the head. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Line V, the movie coming with original creator. And since we're still in the funding stage, there aren't any actors associated with the project as of yet. But come on, it's going to be fun to speculate in the coming months. I mean, who would you like to see as Diana or Anna? I guess whatever name they give her. See, now I, I've got the original people in my mind, so it's hard to picture someone else that might fit that role. But I know they'll uh, have to pick someone with that sinister look. All right. Well, in video game news, Dave, and we don't really dip into this too much because uh, my video game days are somewhat behind me and you are sort of mostly into driving games, correct? On the console? That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> On the PlayStation. <laughs> but one game that has really taken the internet by storm is Fortnite. Now, Matthew Bird wrote about 
Fortnite breaking the record that was formerly set by Player Unknown's Battlegrounds or PUBG as it's known. And these games are kind of like arena style, free for all, last man standing type games. And, you know, when when PUBG first came out, it started setting records. It had this Hunger Games like feel where you drop 100 unarmed, unarmored players into an open arena and they just have to scramble for whatever weapons and gear they can find and move towards a central point for this battle royale which is what they ended up naming this style of gameplay and just the last man standing wins. Now this game is popular because it's simple to grasp and everyone starts out equal aside from, you know, if people form teams on the side or something like that. But after less than a year on steam, PUBG had reached the 1 million current current players milestone, which uh, only the most successful games on steam get. And then it eventually set a record of 3.2 million and it was just announced a couple weekends ago that that record has now been broken by Fortnite, which one weekend in February reached 3.4 million concurrent players to the point where Epic, who publishes Fortnite, was, you know, pleased with that success. But it did have some difficulties because, of course, the server went down and it could only bear the weight of that many active players for so long. So there was latency, dropped connections, that sort of thing. But the popularity of this game can probably be attributed to the addition of the game's free battle Royale add-on because it was originally not in that style. Whereas PUBG is still $30 a game. Oh yeah. And, and, you know, certainly you mentioning about the servers crashing or, or, or at least buckling under the weight is certainly something I can relate to even with my racing, although I'm on Sony's servers and you know, they do a better <laughs> job, but also, you know, the whole free for all, because I got to tell you a lot of these online racing events are like free for alls where some of the contestants, you think, what are they eight years old and they driving <laughs> backwards and who knows, well, but well, so I did, I decided I would have to talk to the source so I went ahead and asked a couple of my students in my filmmaking class to tell me about this Fortnite, which they themselves have really gotten crazy about. So here's what Deshaun and Corey had to say about this great game. Fortnite's just really different because you build and it's just like it's like a cartoon. But then when you're playing like PUBG, it's more shooter, blood, like actual guns, and it's not as kid friendly. So I think that's why Fortnite's been so popular compared to PUBG. Part like yeah, like half the school probably like. It's such a popular game. You can just ask anybody. They probably tell you they'll play at least once because it's free. Everybody would just try it at least once, I'd say. So that sounds kind of fun. I think I would be down for that, especially if it was free. But it's you know no surprise if you've got the attention of most of the high school where I work, <laughs> you're going to get 3 million concurrent players, no problem. So that was an interesting record that was set there. But we have to talk with one of the editors of Den of Geek next about Black Panther, because this phenomenon that's coming, I mean, Dave, you and I dabble in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Have you ever seen Anticipation This High for one of the Marvel movies? I have not. And you know what my problem is staring me in the face right at the moment is that I don't go to the movies. So I know I have to wait. I have to try to avoid getting spoiled. And I know that's going to be impossible. But yeah, I, I can't wait to see this. I mean, it looks awesome. Right. So because of the fact that David Crow was able to attend the press screening and I trust his opinion on movies implicitly, he really has a good beat on on what makes a successful movie and the directors and their talents that they bring. So here's my discussion with David Crow, completely spoiler free about Black Panther and what we can expect from this movie. 
All right, we're here with David Crow, associate editor at Demo Geek and expert on movies in general, but also a wealth of knowledge about Marvel movies in particular. <laughs> so welcome to uh, the podcast, David. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, you've already seen Black Panther, correct? Yes, I saw it last week. And uh, just personally, I thought it was excellent. I liked it a lot more than most of the Marvel Studios films. Now, I've always wondered this with screeners that writers get ahead of time. Do you then also go out and see it in the theaters yourself? (laughs) Well, it actually depends. For something like a Marvel movie, we don't get screeners for those. We're invited to press screenings because they're such event films especially Disney films, tend to be very uh, high security, as they probably should be, given, you know, the level of hype and obsession in a good way that uh, many fans, including some of our devoted readers, might have to the material. As for Black Panther, I'll say this. Normally, with Marvel Studios films, I am one and done. I think the best ones are very enjoyable, and they are a great ride, good popcorn entertainment. But generally, I think you get everything you need from them out of one viewing. And I've rarely gone back to any of them. Black Panther is the first one in several years that I definitely am planning on seeing a second time soon. High praise, indeed. And in fact, if you guys out there in the listening audience are the type that goes to the theater, you should know that Den of Geek is giving away three gift cards, each valued at $25. And all you have to do is sign up for the Den of Geek newsletter, like us on Facebook, share the giveaway and tag us on a post or follow us on Twitter and share the giveaway and mention Den of Geek US in your tweet. Any of those things will get you an entry. And the final entries are being accepted all the way through the weekend. The uh, deadline is Sunday, February 18th, and three winners will be drawn at random and contacted either via email or direct message on social media. So good luck to you guys who want to go see this movie this this weekend. Now, David, for the uninitiated, Wakanda is sort of an Afrofuturist nation that's been untouched by colonialism and is in fact hidden from outside influence in some ways with its own advanced technology, including being the only source, as far as I know, of vibranium. Does this movie stick to that aspect of the comics? Oh, yes. In fact, it highlights it more. Now, granted, I have not read a lot of Black Panther comics, but I'm well aware of the character and his general history in the Marvel pantheon. But with this film, what's really interesting is they really want to highlight the – and by this I mean Googler, who directed the very wonderful Creed, as well as uh, Fruitvale Station, and he brings Michael B. Jordan into this film – as perhaps I would argue Marvel Studios' best villain to date because he is a character who is, without giving too much away, he is of Wakandan heritage, but he grew up in the United States. So his African-American experience is unique from the African experience of Wakanda, which in the film is depicted as, to the outside world, they treat it in the broad stereotypes often unfairly associated with African nations. They refer to it as a third world country. Presumably, if it existed in the real world, the president of the United States might call it a shithole. <laughs> yeah, once you, once you get inside the country, certainly there's a wish fulfillment aspect to it, but it's the most advanced country in the world where they keep their African heritage, but they are highly technologically advanced 
But they're also very wary of the outside world. They keep up the pretense that they don't have wonderful technology or resources to share with the world, including vibranium. As far as the world's concerned, a criminal played by Andy Serkis has stolen most of their vibranium, and they are completely destitute, which is not accurate, but because of their fear of outsiders, a fear of foreigners or even immigrants, they are completely removed in kind of a paradise situation. Well, that sounds great because, of course, you know, we had the tie-in where Bucky Barnes was involved with Black Panther. But moving forward, how do you think this is going to play into the Avengers Infinity War? Because, of course, there is the last Infinity Stone <laughs> uh, that's that's still out there. I mean, is that something that is foreshadowed or do you have any ideas of where it might lead? Well, I have one idea that I don't want to give away because it's related to one of the post-credit scenes. But other than that post-credit scene and a few off-the-cuff kind of allusions or jokes within the film's screenplay, this is probably the most standalone Marvel Studios films since the first Iron Man, excluding Guardians of the Galaxy, which are kind of off in their, literally their own separate universe almost. But uh, this movie uh, doesn't really play that much into the lore, as it were, or interconnecting with all the other Marvel Studios films. So it's pretty standalone. With that said, we know from the trailers of Avengers of Infinity War that eventually the uh, bad guys, as, as it were, Thanos, the supervillain of the entire saga – is going to end up attacking Wakanda because we see in the trailers Black Panther leading many of his Wakandan people and Captain America in a fight against them. Yeah, that was one of the highlights of the trailer, certainly. Now, were there any scene stealers in this movie at Black Panther? I mean, it was Chadwick Boseman. You mentioned Michael B. Jordan did a great job as the villain. We've got Lupita Nyong'o as, as Nakia. I mean, did anybody really stand out as MVP? For the record, I think uh, Michael B. Jordan is definitely the MVP of this. I think he is, again, the best villain Marvel Studios has ever produced. And I think the reason is his motivation is arguably very justified. And it's certainly entirely sympathetic and built on reality. It's actually about something, whereas most of the time it's I'm going to take over the world or destroy the world or I'm going to get the MacGuffin and hail Hydra. Now, this is uh, based and a very magical thinking version of reality, but it is based in reality. And the other person I really thought was excellent was Denai Guerrera as one of the palace bodyguards who are basically the Wakanda version of the Secret Service. She's actually considered a general in the film. Oh, the, the Dora Milaje. Yeah, they're very badass and integral to the story because, of course, they also present a opposing viewpoint of where Wakanda should go in the future, correct? Yes. Well, there's actually a lot of political dissonance about the where Wakanda should go. Without giving away any spoilers, to return to the theme of xenophobia, there are elements within Wakanda that want to share their technology with the world, and there are elements that want to use it to help people of color in other countries who are being oppressed or disenfranchised. And then there are those who are strictly isolationist. And the thing about uh, Danae's character is she was very, very loyal to Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther, but she's also loyal to the throne. And 
that might become an issue as there are more claimants for the throne as the story progresses. Now, pre-sales for this movie are already outdoing many of the other superhero movies. How huge does this have the potential to be from the box office standpoint? Oh, this movie's well, long, long overdue. I've been saying since uh, November, personally, I was predicting it would do over $150 million Just be, I think it'll be certainly Marvel Studios' biggest film that does not feature Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. I think it'll be their biggest opener because I think uh, the culture, American culture, desperately needs a superhero that celebrates diversity, that shows so many strong people of color in a film. In fact, the only major characters who are white, and this is an ongoing joke on the internet, the uh, Tolkien white guys, because it's <laughs> uh, Martin Freeman who played Bilbo, and he actually plays a pretty entertaining side character, as well as uh, Andy Serkis as one of the villains of the piece but uh in general i think this movie is long overdue and i think that lack of mainstream blockbuster entertainment that represents the actual visage of america is going to cause this thing to be a tidal wave and on top of that it's excellent i think i last saw the projections at 165 million Personally, at this point, I think it could clear $175 million. I think it'll be a tidal wave. <laughs> I can't wait to see if that's true because, uh, you know, I think people underestimate the black geek contingent and the size and the growth of that particular demographic. It's huge. If you go to any conventions, you'll see it for yourself. <laughs> and, and it's incredibly underrepresented. Uh, I know uh, the director said in an interview recently he gravitated towards Black Panther because he grew up like many of us did in the 90s where you had this wealth of pop culture and he was always, well, the Black Ranger, the uh, token Black character. And Black Panther comics were the Marvel comics is, I wouldn't say a token, but they were certainly a smaller side area of Marvel comics. And now he's getting to elevate it to what I think will make Black Panther an A-list character the way Iron Man was after 2008. Well, I can't wait to see the movie, and I'm sure our audience is very excited for it as well. And we really want to thank you for talking to us today about uh, your feelings about the movie, David Crow. Thank you for having me. Okay, and of course, Black Panther opens on February 16th. And we're all very anxious to see this come to theaters and we'll see if David Crow's opinion is in the majority. I have the feeling that it definitely will be. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So we hope to get some of the other editors who have a wide range of expertise onto the podcast to talk about some of the topics that they're interested in. But again, we'll have this extra bonus segment at the end of each podcast to share with you a bunch of behind the scenes content, visits to sets, interviews with various folks and things like that. But I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Den of Geek podcast. Join us again at the end of February, where we'll share the late edition with the latest news from denofgeek.com and share some more behind-the-scenes content from your favorite television shows, movies, and more. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more. Yes, that really helps us, especially as we're starting out here to get the attention out for other folks to find this podcast and enjoy it as well. So thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.